Hi, this is Queer Margins, Series 1, Old Queens, and I'm Reese T. Matthews, and this is Episode 1, Colin. The deaths that I kind of experienced were my clients. Um, and there were many of those. It, was a, it, was a, it averaged out about once a fortnight, oh. um, and some affect you more than others. But we'll move on now, I think. Next question. Talk about that. I met Colin through his blog, which is called Gay in the 80s. Uh, he also has a book published by the same name. Both are great sources of queer knowledge. When we met, he picked me up from Cambridge train station and drove me to his house. He wore his Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners t-shirt so I could easily recognise him. The first thing he did when we got through his front door was offer me a cup of tea. We then went to his back garden, which was beautiful, with so many fresh fruits and vegetables, chickens and so many different types of herbs. And he told me about his and his partner's dream to one day become self-sufficient. By the time we'd finished the tour of his garden, our tea was stone cold, so he had to make us another. We'd sat down in his front room and he'd laid out his amazing archive. There were so many different pictures, articles and copies of different magazines and one in particular which he'd set up in the 80s called Gay East Midlands. We reference different articles from these quite a lot during our conversation and they can be found on their Instagram page which is at Queer Margins. It's really easy to see how kind Colin is. He dedicated so much of his life to making others' lives better. From setting up the magazine, to his work supporting the Welsh mining community, to his time spent helping terminally ill people dying of AIDS in Australia. Something he's still so passionate about, and that still upsets him today. He even helped me connect with a couple of other people who I've interviewed for this podcast. Colin spent much of his time growing up in Tyneside, and his adult life was split between there, the East Midlands, Australia, London, and now Cambridge. He's such a gentleman, and it was an honour to meet him. So, here he is. Very large um, queer population in, 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 in Nottingham. There weren't that many sort of venues. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you had to believe it, you know, rather than actually say evidence. Every now and then, sort of a, a, a large um, club would open its doors for gay night. And you know, people would come in in their, in their hundreds cool. and you think, Jesus, where do you all come mm. from? Um, so... Uh, in Nottingham, the best place in Nottingham was the Forester's Arms, um, which was a predominantly lesbian pub, um, but the women had no issue with men coming in. That was just good because the the, um, the people who ran it um, were a straight couple. They wasn't an issue. I mean, they... Actively welcomed lesbians and gay men, mm-hmm. um, so that was just that, that 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 was the best place simply because it it was it was there seven days a week. Um, there was just a really relaxed atmosphere whenever you went in. Mm-hmm. So that would that was you know the favorite. It was close to the centre of town. That was good. Now other places um, you had pubs where it was kind of the back bar of the Dog and Partridge. Or the sidebar at Gatsby's, um, or um, the um, the the hearty good fellow, which was the downstairs bar was the gay men's bar, the upstairs bar um, every Wednesday was the lesbian was the lesbian bar, um, you know it's almost like you needed a sort of a bit, we didn't have them back in those days but it's almost like you know 
these days, if that happened, you would have an app to tell you exactly. Yeah. What's oh, Wednesday? Like a TripAdvisor sort of app yeah. to be able to get you. Today, this yeah. is open or not, but this is not open, and so on and so forth. So how did you how how did you keep track of it? Was it through like newspapers and like that kind of thing, or was it just word of mouth? It was. It was well, well, partly word of mouth. Gay news was. I came out in nineteen seventy six. Mm-hmm. Kind of, sort of, somewhat reluctantly. I was, I was, in theory, I was, you know, it's almost like I was testing the waters for a few years. Like, okay. You know, in when I felt safe, in the right context, to tell people, I'm gay, you know, kind of, you know, and that would be it. But, um, but I didn't actually get involved with kind of the gay movement as such until 1980, which is another reason why I do the blog from gay in the 80s, just from, from then on. I used to be involved in all sorts of other stuff in, in the 70s. I was very involved in the anti-racist movement in particular. Um, but I, I wasn't involved in any, any, any gay, gay issues until, mm-hmm. until 1980. Um, now, at that time, Gay News was the publication for well, lesbians and gay men, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Gay News had, had sort of come out of the the original fires of the gay liberation movement. It had started in either 1972 or 1973. Mm-hmm. It was um, run collectively. It was run um, democratically with lesbians and gay men all having an equal voice. Um, and it was regarded as the, the newspaper of our community. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in 1983, it ran, it ran into financial difficulties. Um, and so it collapsed in April 1983. It collapsed because I was kind of still sort of in the in in the in the throes of enthusiasm and whatever, getting into to gay, you know, gay politics and so on and so forth. I decided that because this was when I lived in Nottingham that because gay news had collapsed, this was a kind of really really important time. We, we couldn't afford to lose a gay newspaper. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have a gay communication because AIDS had just happened. Um, they just introduced a new police and criminal evidence bill which essentially gave the police more rights, more justification to harass gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things were not good. So I set up um, in Nottingham this, this paper called Gay East Midlands. Oh, wow, I didn't know you did that. So, um, as you can see, it's produced but very amateurishly. None of us. There was kind of there was a collective of about five, five, five of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's pretty obvious that it was not produced by professionals. We had no idea where the money was going to come from. Whatever, I just thought we need to do this. So I mean, you can, just by the sort of the names around there: Mansfield, Lincoln, Leicester, Coventry, Derby, Nottingham. That was basically our, our sort of distribution area. Um, so that's that's what we we covered. Um, and in the middle, the centre page, was this, we had this listings page. So, wow. Um, to, to, to tell people what was, what was going on. So you would collect all this information yep. from all the different, like how would, would you, how would you find out, how would you find out that these were on? We, when we first started, we kind of, before we started, we actually went round to the various towns and had meetings with the various gr- groups, and said, "This is what we're this is what we're going to do." Because part of that was also about raising money. We we were saying, 
if you will give us ten pounds, we'll put in an ad. Ah, okay. Um, so it'll be you know, best wishes to Gay East Midlands from Leicester Gay Line, da 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 da, -da Nottingham Gay Switchboard, and so on and so forth. So we will publicise your your group as well in in our first issue, and and then um, after that. We want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Right. Whatever you've got to say. To be able to fill the pages. Like, tell to us. Put it in there. So, so the listings was always the, the central. It's not a centre page for this one for a specific reason. But and it's good to tell everybody where they'd be able to go. Yep. And what was coming up. Yep. And then you'd have kind of in the news, you'd have your local news, like Derby Youth Group, um, Warwick University Gay Week. Um, all kind of things. So there was, um, I mean, there was the, the, it, it, um, one issue we've got is kind of a, it's it's um, a group that was set up called um, Beards Making Beards Meeting Beards uh, for men who like men with beards. Mm -hmm. And then then the next month, I think we put in there was a mustaches meeting mustaches, and you know it's hard to say the best of times. So it's just as I ran about. So that's that's basically how we kind of um, we tried to get the news out. Um, and originally, the, my idea was to do it as a free sheet. But what people said was, if you do it as a free sheet, people will won't value it. Right. Yeah. If you if if you leave it in a pub or take it in a pub, give it to people in a pub, at the end of the night they'll be all over the floor and nobody's taking them home. So that's why we 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 charged twenty p. We, did, we never made enough money to keep going, but we kept going. How anyway. many issues did you make? I think we did nine. Wow. And it was once a month? Yep. You know when you said that um, there are a lot of places in sort of back bars and side bars, of, would yep. you have to walk through a straight, like it would be like a normal straight pub or whatever, and yeah. then you'd have to go through there to be able to go into the like gay bar? Um, most of the time, yeah, because... I mean, you know, the, the thing about the, the ones with the back bar or the side bar or the whatever, were usually they were run by straight people who really couldn't give a fuck about us, but just wanted our cash. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we did have an episode in one of the, one of the, um, one of the pubs, uh, Gatsby's, I think it was, where we, was, we went out selling um, GM, Gay's Midlands, um, and one of our guys went up to the to the woman, the landlady, and said, "Would you mind if we go around selling these in the pub?" And she said, "As long as you don't upset the normal customers." Um, so of course, Nigel, being <laughs> a rather a politically aware young man, said, "I'm a normal customer," and um, we was like, "Yeah, leave it." Move on. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, 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 it... There was a little bit of friction, but not... Yeah, but it was, and I mean, that was kind of, you see, that was the sort of... It's the interesting dynamic of, of the 80s for me about the whole scene um, and Thatcherism, because um, we were under attack immensely in the 80s mm -hmm. for all sorts of stuff, as, as I say. You know, it culminated in Section 28, which was just homophobia, legislation. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, if you look at the whole basis for Section Twenty Eight, Section Twenty Eight was got had nothing to do with, with with lesbians and gay men. It was an attack on 
local councils right to decide what they spent their their money on mm -hmm. uh, now you know that's that's it quite clearly but homophobia was used much as Boris Johnson is now using racism um, was used to kind of promote you know the, 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 the Tory party um, and so all of these things were going on and, and, and as I said, obviously AIDS um, AIDS was suddenly this suddenly people are dying your friends are dying your workmates are dying activists are dying you know and you didn't nobody knew what was happening that you you know you, you you didn't know what what caused it you didn't know whether you had it you didn't know whether it was incubating for however many years i mean the longer you know it, it, the first case was 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 recorded in the uk in december 1981 mm -hmm. um not many people knew about that it was really 82 83 is when people became aware of mm -hmm. it um but AIDS was about not just people dying, it was about, my God, have I got it? You know, you'd be absolutely paranoid. You'd check your skin for any bumps that might be Kaposi sarcoma and so on and so forth. You know, I, I can never put into words just how, just the immense impact that, that, that AIDS had on our community. Mm -hmm. So so you had that. You had the attack on gays, the word. You had the police and criminal evidence bill, which gave the police even more opportunity to, to harass us. Then you had Section 28. It was very clear um, that the government thought we were scum and were not prepared to, you know, fight, do anything for us, mm -hmm. let alone fight our corner. Um, and it was, you know, that particularly towards the end of the 80s, we really could have gone under. I, mean, it was, I, I know there was... Certainly when I was in Australia, it was the case that there was a real crisis amongst aid support groups about, we can't keep dealing with this, we cannot keep dealing with this level of grief, this level of loss, and so on and so forth. And I kind of think, well, why did we keep going? Well, one was kind of the sink or swim mentality, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, we're not going to let the bastards get us down. And that's what I said in my article about Donald Trump as well, which is, you know, no, it's a different ball game down mm -hmm. now. We will never, ever, ever go back to those those awful, awful days. We will never, ever go back to that. But the other one was that the commercial side, the, the pink pound, the pink dollar, was seen as too valuable for people. Mm -hmm. We were a lucrative earner. We were a very, very lucrative earner. So that drove a lot of things like heaven, and so like, well, particularly when Richard Branson bought heaven, he, he knew where the money was. In 1984, the, um, the, the London Pride Parade, which was the only Pride Parade in the entire country, mm -hmm. there was less than a thousand people on the London Pride Parade and we thought that that was the end of it, that was we were uh, about to go under. Uh, 1985, that all changed, it was just the most amazing kind of thing. I mean, this is, well, this is the front page of this, like 10,000 people marching, mm -hmm. 10,000 people on the Pride Parade was the biggest ever, I think, in, in, in British history at that time. I was like, wow, what's happened? Why do you think it changed? One of the things that, well, the reason it changed was because some of the, the commercial, the venues got behind us. Right. The pubs and the clubs. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like the pubs and clubs were saying, yeah, well, you know, no, we're not going to hassle these people too much. And that, for me, is that that's, 
one of the reasons why we kind of got through that the, 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 the sort of the, the, the commercial scene was, 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 was too valuable mm -hmm. for people to lose so we had this bizarre kind of scenario where on the one hand the government and its officials were constantly attacking us but on the other hand there was this commercial kind of need to keep to keep going because we were we were yeah. a good audience you know so did you go to the um, Pride in 85? I did. And what was it like? Did you go to one in 84? I did. How, for you, how did they differ? Not just like the amount of people, but was there a sense of like positivity rather than... 84 was just scary when you're on a march going through London. Mm -hmm. A bunch of faggots and dykes going through a march in the centre of London where you can be at one end and you can see the front of the march and you just think... Oh God, that's you know, mm. it's not it's not a safe feeling, right? Um, and you know the police aren't going to protect you. I mean, half the time it seems when the police on, you look at photographs of the police escorting pride marches, and it, it, it it's it, it they march almost like they're they're trying to protect the public from us. Um, so eighty four was was yeah it was not kind of, not one of my kind of. Happier okay. parades, um, but then '85 was, um, yeah, just just turned around like you wouldn't believe, and it was like you know it was, we we were there, we you know we're here, we're queer, get get used to it, all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It was um, it was a party, um, but it was also a very political event. Um, you know, in the in the in the movie Pride, there's this the sort of there's a scene towards the end which is set in Hyde Park as people are assembling for the yeah for the for the for the for the parade, and supposedly one of the organisers comes up to to Mike and says, "We oh you can't have we're not having politics this this year we're going to have a party theme." Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of it's it's true and it's not true. What they actually said that what they wanted was a party theme. Nobody said we're not having politics. Right. What they were saying is we were having a party theme because we have been, and we've been under so much attack. We're going to show. It's going to be a celebration. Yeah, we're going to party on in spite of what you can do, what, mm -hmm. you know what you do to us. We're going to party on. Um, and so what then happened was. Um, we had, we had lesbians and gay support the miners laid off the parade with some people from the mining communities. Not quite the cultural loads that the film would suggest, but mm -hmm. anyway, we did have banners there from, from the, 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 the mining areas. Um, we had Body Positive, which was the first um, group for, for people with AIDS and HIV. Mm -hmm. um, out in public for the first time with a big banner, mm -hmm. um, and that's interesting. That that's actually that's also in the film Pride, which is good that they got that bit right. That the body positive banner was there as was well. Right behind them. Um, you had um, the gays, the word defence group, uh, and a little um, a sort of little um, truck with kind of a some some judges in fishnet tights. Um, you know, so it was like parodying the, 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 the whole legal system under that. Um, <clears throat> all sorts of things. Plus, um, gay pubs, gay clubs, venues, um, community organisations, 
publications and so on and so forth. Everybody was out together, and that, that was just that was, it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. What was your involvement with lesbian and gay men's sport the mind? I was in Nottingham for the first half of the strike, and then I moved to, to, to London. Um, and of course, that was the first thing I did, just to get involved. So that's when I signed up for LGSM. Right. And so I used to um, go to the meetings at the Fallen Angel in Islington, um, and I used to do the collections. I did some collections at the Bell. Um, I did um, stood outside Case the Word on Saturdays and did the collection there. And then we did a, a picket. Of, there was a picket of Neasden Power Station one, one day. I think it was in February '85, because there's again there's a, there's a quite a famous photograph now that's used of five of us standing under the banner, a black and white photograph standing under the banner outside this this um, picket uh, this power station in, in February '85. So yeah, so that's that that was that was my role. Mm-hmm. I, I never, I was never an office bearer or anything like that. I just turned up and. Mm-hmm. Rattled my bucket. That's cool. And that was it. And I never went up to to the to the, the to Wales to see the community because I come from a mining community. I know what it's like. That just seemed a bit pointless, kind of mm. going up at the weekends um, when I could be actually out in the street collecting Doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that was my involvement. You were brought up in uh, Nottingham. Is that right? No, I was brought up in Tyneside. What was that like being gay when you were there? Well, I didn't no, know I was gay no. when I was there, and that was the kind of it, that, that was the irony of it. It was because homophobia was just so complete there. You just you just didn't even think about it. You know, like being gay was I mean it was essentially the same thing as, as you know having kind of antennae sticking out of your head and being green like a Martian or something. It was kind of well, you know, I, it it was just, it was conveyed in this kind of this bizarre kind of combination of utter silence on the subject but on the other hand kind of you know sort of derision mm. of gay people like on television and so on and so forth you just it was it was a, I mean apparently it was, it was if you like it was a space you didn't want to occupy anyway but I, I, I genuinely believed I, I, I never thought I was gay when I, when I lived up in Tyneside um, you know because I, I, I just wasn't like that Dick Emery or, or what's his name from Are You Being Served? Or, I wasn't like any of those. I just hadn't found the right girl yet. Mm. And then I went to, to, to university in Leicester um, and, then, and, and within two weeks I was in a sexual relationship with a man. Um, and that kind of sort of, you know, sort of got me thinking, um, now hang on a minute, you know, what what's just happened here? Um And I, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was almost. It was basically like while I was up there, I couldn't. It just wasn't on the agenda. You just, you, right. you know, you. I don't know whether I was really, really, really subconsciously suppressing my homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I was, as it happened, I was a member of the campaign for homosexuality, for three years before I, before I went away to Leicester, but that was only because I just thought these poor people. I felt sorry for these poor people who were discriminated against. There was no sort of sense that it actually, you know, it's me. It, it, I, I was a, yeah, I was a member of the Campaign for Homosexual Equality, but it, as I say, I was just, really didn't believe it had anything to do. It wasn't personal, 
it was just doing a good deed for these poor wow for these poor people. so was that the first time you had met gay people then oh that I group? didn't go to the meetings God okay, please so. Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> oh, no that was too much of a risk to take um, no I was I mean I just used to get the newsletter and okay was, I will, oh, go to the meetings I did go to, I did want to see some gay people a few years earlier than that because I was involved in the very, very early 70s. They was, we still had the, you know, the so-called alternative movement, the underground and whatever, and that was, if you like, the remnants of women's lib, gay lib, and so on and so forth. And I was, I was the coordinator of Friends of the Earth. Mm -hmm. Somebody had called this meeting of all these kind of alternative groups. And there were two guys from Gay Liberation Front and I remember seeing one of them just make an eyes at the other one and I just thought, Jesus, that's God, that's disgusting, what's that about? I was really still the whole, but was still buying the whole homophobia thing, I wasn't. And how old were you then? 18. Wow. And then how long after did you go to university? Oh, I didn't go to university until I was 22. So it was four years after that sort of experience when you'd first seen, like first met a gay person and seen a gay person. Well, I saw a gay, saw person. A gay person. I didn't person. meet them, I didn't actually go and yeah. talk to them. I was kind of and then me. you were, you saw them like looking at each other and you found that disgusting. And then for four years later, yeah. you'd slept with a man. Yeah, four years later I was in bed with a man. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's not a bad turnaround, is it? Yeah, no, I was. Uh, I did meet the gay man, and he was just gorgeous. And, was, and how long did that go on for? That that was the first relationship. Oh, it was just it was, yeah, it was just messing, messing, messing about. Mm -hmm. It wasn't kind of messing about, but it was just just something we did every now and then. Right. Okay. Um, just trying to think. My last. I don't think I really had any, any sort of full, proper gay relationships when I was at, at, at uni. In fact, I, my last relationship was with, was, was with a straight boy, and I think that was just that whole thing about, you know, let's not get too committed here, so because, you know, just play it safe. Yeah. I know he's not going to commit, so I'll just... Mm, so. Keep them at arm's length, kind of thing. Yeah, mm. so I was still sort of, you know, you know, almost like rather not get involved. I mean, originally, just the coming out thing was 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 triggered by it wasn't this guy that I was having a sexual relation a sexual relationship with. It was a I went to a meeting. I was on the the, the uh, Leicester College's nightline. I volunteered to be a volunteer, you know, to 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 be on on this the student help. Mm -hmm. And so we had a um, training sessions, and and one night we had a training session on sexually transmittable sexually transmissible diseases and homosexuality. So, you know, an interesting kind of coupling of the mm. topics anyway. And as usual, we used to meet in this big room and we all used to sit in a circle. I remember going there and there was a, there was a woman there and I thought, I think she, she looks like a doctor. She's probably going to talk about sexually transmittable diseases. And I was looking around thinking, where's, where's, the, where's the gay man? I knew it was a gay man that was going to give the talk. And I knew, where's the gay man? Where's the gay man? And then... The door was behind me, and anyway, I heard the door open, and I turned around, and this a gorgeous man walked in. Honestly, he was blonde, he was just beautiful, and he had a motorbike, so he was in black leather from head to foot. Hmm. And the only way I can describe is like in those cartoons, you know, those Looney Tunes cartoons where people's eyes come out. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> 
and a half, pounding sort of out of their chest, or, you know, you know, and your tongue rolls out and across the floor. And all I could think of was, gee, I hope he's, oh, I hope he's giving a talk, I hope he's the gay man, I hope he's the gay man, I hope he's the gay man. And he was. Um, and I was living in the Hall of Residence at the time, and, and, and the guy who I was having sex with was there as well. And it was, I think it was basically because I, I'd, I'd gone back and just described this experience with this guy. That's how we started having sex. Um, but yeah, I, every time I, I saw this beautiful gay man, I just, just went limp, so to speak. Um, wow. But we never, I never unfortunately um, managed to hook up with him. Because <laughs> I, I, was, I was still kind of just wasn't, you know, I was still sort of yeah, too scared of commitment anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And then when did you, what age were you when you started coming out then? Was that immediately after that or, you know? Coming out for, for, for real would have been 1980. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Because then I was, it was like, okay, stop messing about, you know, getting in and getting involved with the gay movement. But it was also because I was, and I still am, like very politically active, mm -hmm. uh, uh, not just on the, the gay issues, but um, so it was very much about sort of, you know, the gay gay liberation theory, if you'd call it that, mm -hmm. was still going there, was about coming out was, 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 was an important political action mm -hmm. that you came out because um, otherwise... You know, if you didn't come out, then your family and your friends and your workmates always thought of queers as the other out there, and then you, you know, so it was actually important to say, mm -hmm. listen, actually, I'm, I'm one of them. Um, so yeah, 1980, I kind of, I, I kind of started to come out. Mm. I read lots of books and articles on how to come out properly. So that by the time I did get to, to, to come out to my mother in 1982, I kind of had a little speech already. You, know, it's kind of, um, you don't say, um, I've got something awful to tell you, or you're not going to like this, but you say, you know, there's something important in my life and that I really would like to share with you. And I, after stalling for God knows how long, how many hours, I finally did. I got up and sit down. I will sit down. I just need a little chat, and then I did say, um, "There's something important." And I, you know, I'm re reading the script. Mm. There's something important I want to say. No, yeah, it's really <laughs> important to me that I share this with you. And, uh, anyway, I'm gay. I'm homosexual. I, 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 I like men. And then probably burst into tears. And so I then sort of buried my face in my hands, and all I could think of was. This is not what it says in the book. <laughs> um, and what was her reaction? Well, she, she said, I don't understand it, but basically, you know, I don't care what you are, you're still my son, mm -hmm. which was kind of nice. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that was sort of the end of the conversation. I was exhausted by that point. Um, and I said, well, okay, well, let's talk about it later. And she said, yeah, okay, man. And then, and then I was staying up at her place. I was over the Christmas holidays, which is why I was on there. And, um, but every time after that, I said, is there anything, you know, you know what we talked about, you know, is there anything you want to ask? No, no questions. 
So there were no more questions. Did you speak about it again? Like, like well, I mean, in the end, she just well, it was kind of. I couldn't think of anything. So just well, by the way, did you? Yeah. Uh, she, she just she didn't want to know anything else. Um, and so that was it. So it never, you know, it was kind of, it was acknowledged and then locked away in the filing cabinet, if you like. Mm. But then, um, a year or so later, I, I mean, I, I, I did go up with my boyfriend. Okay. Um, so I was like, you don't have to talk about it, but it's, this is, you know. Yeah, this no is some ambiguity about, you know, mm -hmm. the poor was. Um, so, that was basically how kind of things moved okay. forward. So she met my boyfriends, and then when we got married, she thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. So, uh, oh really? Yeah. So she kind of uh, she couldn't wait to see him. So, uh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. And um, your father was he alive? Like no, my dad. My dad died in nineteen seventy six before I went to uni. Oh, okay. Um, which is uh, that's always been kind of a question in my mind. Like, well, if he if he hadn't um, died, would I have come out? Because mm. um, I, I I didn't have a particularly close relationship with him. Um, I don't think he would have, he he would really struggled with with the whole thing. And I I actually think probably what would have happened was I would have just drifted away from my family. Right. Okay. Um, but did you think your mother would have struggled with it as well, or do you think that she would sort of come round to the idea of it? I wasn't sure, to be honest. I I, I wasn't sure, but I what I was prepared for what what it was that I would be cut off from the rest of the family. Okay. Yeah. Um. Not based on any evidence, if you like, um, but just that sense of well, if that's what happens, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Um. And as it happened, I told her of just because I went up there for the Christmas holidays. And the only reason I told her on New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, about half an hour before the last bus left her village, because that was what determined when I told my mother, which was if I tell her once the last bus has gone and she kicks me out, I'm going to be in real strife. But I actually had um, friends up and down the country who knew I was going to tell my mum. They'd actually filled their cars up with petrol in case they needed to drive up to Durham to pick me up after my mother had gone. <laughs> oh my god. That's yeah. a lot of support. Um, and you said that you. So when you lived in Australia, you did work with AIDS. And the, how was that experience? Because you said that you were emotionally like tired of it by the yeah. end well my AIDS work started I mean started there with Gay East Midlands mm -hmm. um, that issue number one was about you know well, okay well what 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 are the issues of, for people today yeah because there's um, a part in the middle of it so this is from June 1983 right yeah and then under health which is yeah. AIDS AIDS and yeah. it's uh, what is AIDS yeah and what part of it I noticed when it says how serious is AIDS it says um Approximately 100 gay men will die through AIDS in the next two years. Yeah. Would you say that was accurate? Um, well, I don't know, to be no. honest. I mean, I, I, when I'm conscious of... of um, when I read that article, I think there's also about... Keep talking about AIDS victims. 
and also I think promiscuity and stuff, which is like, mm. I know now you would never, you know, never use those terms. But this this was quite literally. Um, well, I think this is like the first. You didn't know how, to, like you know, people didn't know how to deal with it, absolutely. and you're just trying to get something across, aren't you? Yeah. So that's what the important thing is that you're trying yeah. to let people know. And that's it. It was like Jesus. This is this, this is a serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really know much about it, but anyway, what we do know, this is this is it, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I started. I kind of I, I wrote that article about AIDS, and then I wrote the subsequent articles about AIDS, and then in was it early July, um, eighty three, I went to San Francisco to visit some friends for the first. I'd never been to San Francisco. I'd never been to the States before, and then San Francisco for me was just like you know the queer mecca. Mm. Uh, so I went to visit uh, some uh, 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 some lesbian lesbian friend there, um, and while I was there, I just visited all these um, projects. They were having meetings, community meetings, all over the place. They were giving out leaflets about how to safe sex and so on and so forth. And so I kind of just did a did a lot of that. So I actually picked up so much stuff. The leaflets. I came home with about half a sack a suitcase full of these leaflets about because they did. Um, in this country, we were still thinking, well, well, what does it, what causes it, oh, you know, should you use condoms, what, mm-hmm. oh, what does, what about this, is, you know, is it spitting, is it this or that, whatever. whereas in San Francisco, there, there was um, an organisation called the Harvey Milk Gay Democratic Club, um, produced this leaflet called Can We Talk, um, and it was just like, it was like this kind of concertina type leaflet, and it just had... Um, Information, but it also had sort of cartoons, mm-hmm. and so it was like what it basically said was, "Look, we know that um, we don't know everything about AIDS, but what we can say is um, we know it's 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 transmitted by the exchange of bodily fluids." Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. So those okay. Things, those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can. One thing we can say there for is di- avoid the direct exchange of bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. And what that means in practice is, you know, obviously condoms, da 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 da, and they just drew out this really. So it's really positive, and 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 as those cartoons there show, like, you know, they use humour about you know be creative, mm-hmm. um, dress up in leather and fishnets and. So on and so forth, and blonde wigs and so on, and all that kind of stuff. Central massage, nipple play, verbal games, role playing, toys, cuddling, erotic touching, costumes, brunch, phone sex, mirrors, shopping, uniform fantasies, use your imagination. Yep. <laughs> yep. But what was important, it was important for two reasons. One is what it actually said something concrete, like what you could do, mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh my god, you can't, oh, it's good to do anything. Mm-hmm. But the other thing was that it used humour. Yeah. And it was like, God, God, are we supposed to laugh about AIDS? Um, but it, it was, it was just really important. And so I mean, I brought, as I say, I brought back heaps of heaps of those of those leaflets and some other ones, mm-hmm. um, and um, sort of gave them to all sorts of people. I, I, I was involved in the Terence Higgins Trust, sort of in its early days. So I sort of took some to the trust and and whatever. But I also know that kind of activists, AIDS activists in Australia were also had visited at the same time and they also kind of took that. And so that leaflet was really influential yeah. around the world. So, so that's how I started in AIDS. And I started 
I started writing about it um, for, for, for Jim, but also I was doing a master's degree in social work at that time, um, as well as running a community newspaper, mm, uh, as you do. And um, for my, my dissertation, I wanted to do AIDS as a social work issue. And um, the head of school said, no, AIDS isn't a social work issue. So we then had this bizarre situation where I um, sort of had to tutor one of my lecturers in AIDS wow. so that he could then support my argument to do a dissertation about AIDS as a social work issue. Um, and so anyway, so that's what I did. So I, so I, I then gave my, one of my lecturers all of these articles I'd written about AIDS and various other stuff, which mm -hmm. he then read, which I then talked to him about. And have you got it now? Do you understand <laughs> the AIDS stuff? And yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. So then we went back to the head of school and put the argument that I should be allowed to do my dissertation about AIDS and social work. And so I was, I was allowed to do that dissertation. Um, and so... Yeah, that's what I did. Um, there was nothing written about AIDS and social work at that point in time. I wrote to places like Gay Men's Health Crisis in New York, and I said, have you got anything about AIDS and social work? And Because I'm doing my dissertation. And they said, no, we haven't, but we'd love to see your dissertation when you've done it, please. Um, and so, so that's, yeah, so I was kind of really sort of wrapped up in it then. Then I moved to London with the expectation I was going to move to Australia any second now. Mm -hmm. um, but that took longer than I expected. So when I was in London, I was spending half of my weekends rattling a bucket for lesbians and gay sport and minors. And then the other half of the weekends working for Terence Higgins Trust, but also working as a volunteer full-time mm -hmm. for Terence Higgins Trust during the week. Okay. Um, and then when I finally got to Australia, I got in, they were just advertising the job as an, as an AIDS so, a social worker in the AIDS unit, in the, the largest AIDS unit in Australia. And I kind of got that job. So I started as an AIDS social worker at a time when there were no treatments for okay. AIDS. So the vast majority of the work was basically just grief counselling, bereavement counselling, um, you know, working with people who were going to die sooner or later, working with their family, their significant others, and so on and so forth. Mm. Then they introduced AZT, um, and AZT actually made people more sick than not. So people who were on AZT initially were given such massive doses, um, it made them anemic. Right. So as well as being on AZT, they had to come in on a weekly basis and have blood transfusions. And also they had to take AZT every four hours, which meant that you never got more than four hours sleep. So that was all, you know, all, all happening. Um, fortunately, they, they realised pretty soon that you didn't need to give them such massive doses. Right. And, um, but I suppose at that time they were just like, we found something that might work. Yep. Just go like, yeah. and just give it a try kind of thing and just get it out Well, there. I mean, anything, I mean, you know, because, I mean, as well as that, the, as well as the kind of, if you like, the official treatment regime, obviously mm -hmm. everybody was... If, you, if, 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 you, if you've been told you're going to die, 
and well, I'm sorry, we don't have anything for you. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to just sit there and think, oh, fair enough, I'm going to die, there's no treatments, what do you know? I mean, one of the features of, 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 of AIDS was that gay men often knew more than clinicians. Right. Because <laughs> that's the way we are. We're nosy bastards for a start. But also, it was that whole thing about nobody else seems to be taking any notice, you know. It's almost like however many centuries of neglect begins to pay off. Mm -hmm. Like if we don't do something, nobody's going to do something. So there were all sorts of projects about, you know, sort of people you know, trying to help people get access to treatments or whatever, and mm. looking at stuff. So, you know, people produced, came up with all sorts of um, theories about this or that or the other, um, sort of um, meditation, this, or, you know, the, um, the, my pet hate is a woman called Louise Hayes. Who, who, who was one of these um, new wave, new age people who believed that, you know, if you just love yourself, everything will be fine. And she actually wrote a book called um, You Can Heal Your Life. And in the book, the book is essentially a list of um, medical issues and then the, the solution, which generally was about learning to love yourself and saying affirmations and so on and so forth. And her theory on AIDS was that um, AIDS was because gay men have a fear of growing old because they're, they're, they're so obsessed with beauty um, they don't want to grow old and therefore they, that's basically a death wish and that's what AIDS is about so you know if you learn to love yourself I am a worthwhile human being all the bloody 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 you'd be right that's so damaging isn't it oh damaging doesn't come close mm -hmm. but a lot of people bought it a lot of intelligent people bought it but and again it was like well what else is there they had nothing else I suppose to yeah. believe in if you're desperate yeah. I suppose you need so, something yeah you? so people tried to you know herbs curcumin was one of them what um, was that? curcumin what was that? I know what cumin is what was it curcumin may be the active ingredient in right cumin. okay curcumin is one I'm just going through because I've got this whole list of real of you know real and try so there was one of them um, oh god there was some other thing which was actually used in in, in developing film and uh, it was like it was if you rubbed it a little bit on your skin it was believed it would trigger an immune response it would boost your immune response um, Oh God! What can I tell you? You name it, people. You know, sort of would would would, would try it. Uh, but again, that was the desperation that people had. It was there's nothing, there's nothing on the table, and basically the message we're getting from our government is we they couldn't give a shit anyway. Mm. Um, you know, we we that whole we you know moral agenda. We've got it because we've been promiscuous, pervert, deviant, blah, 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 God's judgment, etc., etc., etc. And whether we believe that or not, there, it was held sway in certain areas, particularly the Reagan government. Mm. I mean, Reagan really believed it was, it was God's judgment on, 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 on queer people. So, um, so did you feel 
just completely helpless when you for a long for a large part of the time when you were working with people who had AIDS. You d it's it's odd what you do is you just get your head down and just deal with what's happens. Mm. Um, I guess I've talked to a few people about this recently. Um, I'm starting to tear up now about AIDS. Um, sorry, this always gets me. No, I can imagine it's like just the thought of feeling just completely. Um, yeah, I've talked to some people quite recently, um, like Jonathan Blake, one of them, Jonathan, as, as in Jonathan in, in the movie Pride, Jonathan was one of the first people to be diagnosed with AIDS and so on. Um, but various other people who, people, people are working on film projects, interviewing people whose lives were affected by AIDS. Um, and we're all kind of coming to the same conclusion, which is that people need to talk about AIDS. Mm -hmm. Um you know, survivors or whatever you want to call them, because what happened was um, this thing unfolded, just unleashed, um, and it was just about, holy shit, what do I do? Um, and most of the time you kind of look into, you know, have I got any lesions? Have I, have I got it yet? Um, and then beyond that, I said, okay, well, how, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? So, I mean, that's why I was so involved with kind of the community organisations with GEM and so on and so forth, the Terence Egan's Trust, Nottingham AIDS Information Project, and then obviously social worker in, 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 in Sydney. Um, and it's, a, it's, yeah, it's just you know, what, what the people need, what the people need. Let's, let's do it, let's do it, you know, people... People who've just been diagnosed, you just go. You go and talk to them. Deal with their issues. You know, people who've died. You go and talk to their significant others, and so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, so I that's I mean, just talking to other other gay men around the same age as me. I think there's that that sense of really what we we just we just put our heads down mm. and just we just get through this because don't think about it because if you think about it, then you're fucked. Because it's like hopelessness. Mm. What do you think about how little there is? Let's just get on, help whatever we can do. Now, we're kind of sort of through that. I mean, we still haven't got a cure, which is still a scandal. Um, but we do, you know, we have some form of kind of therapy, mm -hmm. which is kind of certainly making a big difference on people's lives. Yeah. So the firestorm is abating a little. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, yeah, as I say, just friends I've talked to, it's about, well, one of the things that needs to happen is those of us who've been in the long term really need to just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. talk. What the fuck was that? What, what, what the hell happened there? Um, Do you think that, so you said, um, you, you you check yourself for marks and you you'd ask you say like have I got it yet? Do you think that was the feeling then that it was like you would get it, and that it was just a case of when? Yeah. Mm. Well, because you know you didn't know what caused it. Yeah. Okay. If people that you knew got it, you know, same. I mean, same as now. You know, if if, if somebody you knew got some disease and they didn't know what caused it. Yeah, you'd be asking yourself. Yeah. 
what, what have they do? done that I haven't yeah. done? Have I done as a is it this? Is it that? Is it sex? Have I had sex with anybody they've had sex with? Or anybody that anybody has had sex with, with so on mm. and so forth? Um, and because it was also about, it's been, you know, people kept saying it's been a lot, actually it's probably been a lot around, a lot longer than just 1981. It's just been the first bit. We don't know how long it's been around. Mm. We don't know how long. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to incubate. Maybe in some people it'll incubate for years, and some it won't. Um, so it's you know it's it. I mean, I always kind of a, a sort of a, sort of my analogy is like it's like swimming around in shark-infested waters. You kind of you know that some, something's down there, and every now and then you'll see somebody go under, mm. somebody get pulled under, and you just wonder you know when it's. Mm. When is it going to be your turn? Yeah. Um, and then obviously when when sort of HIV was determined to be the cause of, of AIDS, then we had HIV testing. But I was working on the AIDS unit at that stage, and there's no way in the world that I want to know that I had, if I had, if if I. Oh really? Yeah. Shit. No. God, I couldn't have done my job if 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 I, if I'd known I'd, I had HIV. Mm. Um. <laughs> God no, because that would just mean all these people who were dying in front of me. That was me a few years down the track. That was mm -hmm. you know that was my future. No, there's no way I could do. It. Some of the nurses did. Some of the male nurses did and were positive, and and I take my hat off to them um, for doing what they did. Um, but no, I, I it wasn't until I left that I got tested because um, I couldn't uh, you know couldn't cope with that. Oh, yeah, it was. As I said, I mean, it's it's again, it's just stuff like that. You know, you just kind of. Well, it's one of the things. Part of getting on with it, you don't. Just don't get tested. Just do this. Go and see that person. That he's just about to die. Go and have a talk to him about. And, uh, well, you know, so. Um, yeah. I suppose if you didn't know what was causing it, you didn't know how to prevent it. There'd be no. It's not much point getting tested either. Absolutely. Because what's the point in like knowing that you're going to die? Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Well, what, yeah, what, 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 it the, I mean, the, the only thing, I mean, people say, well, if you get tested, then that means you'll, you'll practice safe sex. Well, they, well, I've been practicing safe sex since AIDS came along. I don't need to know what my status is. Um, yeah, so that's it. It's like, yeah, otherwise it's, it, I mean, I, I, you know, I suppose from, the, from a public health argument, there's the, you know, the thing about, well, we need statistics so we know how, how far right. it is, but... That's not going to make any difference to you. Really, it's not so. going to make any difference to me, but it's going to get. It's going to give you know the kind of health service planners, mm -hmm. um, possibly some idea of you know what what we're looking at mm -hmm. down the track. But yeah, on a personal level, uh, no. Well, uh, obviously, the people that you worked with that kind of like it's difficult to say really. But how many out of your like friends? How many? people outside of work that you you know got AIDS? Like, was it, cause like, I imagine a couple of years ago before I sort of, like, had sort of read stuff about, like, when it, when it was all happening, I kind of imagined that it was, like, a couple of people and then that was it, but it was a problem and everyone was a bit scared. But then, yeah. obviously, like, through, I don't know, just, like, reading stuff when I was old enough to understand what it was, really... And sort of cared about it. Um, then I kind of got the image that it was like 
Well, it was like a tragedy, and it was happening to... Everybody knew somebody that it was happening to, and that people would sort of, like, disappear from, like... You know, people you know from out. Yeah. They all of a sudden wouldn't be there anymore, and you wouldn't see the regular faces. Was that something that you... From, like, going out and being out on nightlife and just seeing sort of some people just not turn up anymore, or how did it... Well, it's it kind of... I was kind of... I don't know if it's fortunate or what, what the word is, but you see, what, what happened when AIDS first kicked off? I was in this country. Um, and I, in January 87, I went to Australia. Um, now, only one, two people I knew, only two, only two people I knew died, had died from AIDS by that stage. Mm. Um, that was quite early still, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then, then I went to Australia, and then it was. Um, well, one that was we did, the treatments slowly kicked in, but the other thing was I was I I had I was trying to develop a new social group at that stage in Australia, and I was actually kind of quite wary, and I know this sounds kind of odd, but I was like. I often used to like, particularly when I go out to pubs and clubs, it was kind of really weary about let's not get too chatty with somebody or other because the last thing I wanted to do was actually go home and have sex with somebody and then have him walk into the AIDS clinic next Friday. Not because I was, because I was worried about the AIDS stuff, as I say, I was, I was perfectly... I'm, you know, I was perfectly happy to have sex with somebody if they had AIDS because I was very confident what I was doing was safe. Mm. But it was, it was for me, it was just that issue of, um, oh God, what if they turn out to be one of my clients? So it's, uh, it, it, it was, it was really kind of hard. So I, I'm just trying to think what I actually did. I mean, I, I don't know whether I just went out with more straight people or what, or. Um, I think it kind of had some effect on the way I made friends mm -hmm. for the first few years. In right. Well, certainly while I was as a social worker. Um, afterwards, it wasn't. It didn't matter mm -hmm. because it didn't matter whether they were a client or not a client mm -hmm. at the hospital. I wasn't there to to yeah. be to be dealing with that. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the vast majority of people that I, the deaths that I kind of experienced were, 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 were my clients. Um, and there were many of those? It was, a, it, was a, it averaged out about once a fortnight. Oh. Um, and some affect you more than others. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll move on now, I think. Next question. Talk about that. Okay. Um, so I was just thinking about the work that you did with GEM and bringing stuff back uh, from when you went to San Francisco and sort of raising awareness through about HIV and about AIDS and prevention. Do you think that you made a positive... Like you, you, you probably prevented at least one person from contracting AIDS. Do you think about that? About I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, because it was... a. Um, yeah, it, it was about saying to people, mm. the fucking disease. And like, this would have been the first time that they'd read anything about 
Well, not well, by the end of it, but they were like seeing that kind of side of things that you brought back from San Francisco with you. I think one of the things, the good things about about Gay East Midlands was that it localized it, because up until then, people who'd read Gay News before it collapsed had read about this disease, but mm. that was predominantly something that was over there. Right. It was a you know it was it was in 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 the states. It was in San Francisco. It was Los Angeles. It was you know. That kind of that amazing lifestyle that we don't have anyway. Mm -hmm. um, possibly people would have thought, started to think about, well, it's bound to be in, in London at least. Mm. Um, but the notion of it being in Nottingham or Derby or you know yeah. Leicester, whatever, is is um, I think that was the the. the Probably the, the the most effective thing I did with 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 Jim was actually mm. say, look, it's it's a fucking local issue. Mm. You don't have to live in San Francisco, and you don't have to have seventy three sexual partners a week, and so on and so forth, and just fucking read about it. Um, so yeah, it 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 hopefully uh, yeah I mean hope, hopefully it did. Um, do you still go to Pride? God, no. No. When was the last time you went? Which one? The London well, Pride? Well, any, but like a Pride event, really. Or um, maybe London Pride. Well, the last time I went to London Pride, was again, was with Lesbians and Gay Support, the Miners. Because um, we were, after the film came out, the film came out in 2014, 2015, we were invited to be in the Pride Parade, lead the Pride Parade or whatever, all over the joint. So um, Okay. Yeah, so I was in Newcastle Pride, Durham Pride, no, I wasn't Newcastle, Sunderland Pride, um, Leeds Pride, somewhere else, and London Pride, oh. obviously. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, that was very much about lesbians and gays, to be mm. honest. What, are you going to ask me what I think of Pride? Yeah. I think, think it's over commercialised. I, 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 th I, think, I think we've lost our way. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is a this is a this is a discussion that's being had around the world. There, that sort of corporations have suddenly, corporate floats have suddenly taken over, pride parades, um, the Cindy Gay Mardi Gras, um, Florida, Chicago, wherever, um, and it's 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 basically now, pride parades have just become ways so that corporations can advertise the services to rich queers and. Mm. and it's like, but what about those of those those queers who aren't rich and so on and so forth? So, that's not what Pride was about in the first place. When you said that the second Pride, it, the amount of people that went increased massively, and you sort of attributed that in part to pubs and uh, events supporting yeah. you, is that not a similar? The fact that they're obviously like trying to raise their awareness for. To get more money as well, aren't they? No, because they were they were genuine. They they were uh, the pubs and clubs that served the community. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't Tesco's or Sainsbury's. You know, depending on who, which cashier you got. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've had all of that stuff. Stuff the, the day after Tesco support it's a sponsor Pride in London. You know, two gay men are, are abused in the Tesco supermarket by a, a member of staff mm -hmm. or yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it's about gay-owned businesses mm -hmm. predominantly yeah. or businesses that are, are prepared to 
just acknowledge that they you know they are supported by that or their vast majority of their clients are mm-hmm. are gay yeah. not you know not the, the predatory stuff that mm-hmm. it is yeah. I mean you know and again 2015 we had we were invited to lead the, the parade in 2015 until we said yeah well it won't just be us though of course it'll be our trade union kind of allies and oh no we can't have that and basically we were told we could have 300 people max because any more would distract attention from the lead Barclays bank float you know hello um, what the fuck is that about but then also the day after the London Pride the Pride Parade in Istanbul was attacked by police with water cannons and rubber bullets mm-hmm. where were our global mates then yeah. where was Citibank then where was Barclays Bank then no Pride has got to be about standing up for all people and there are still too many queer people who are still disempowered and vulnerable and they should be our priority in pride marches, not fucking supermarkets. Would you have chosen to be straight if you had the chance? No. Why? Oh, jeez. Because being gay has given me a completely different perspective on life, uh, has made me question things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's given me completely different experiences that I wouldn't have had as a straight person and I wouldn't trade that for anything mm. So would you choose to be, say, in your 20s now and gay or would you choose to be gay when you, or in your 20s? I don't think I'd like to be in my 20s now, to be honest just generally, whether it's gay or straight mm-hmm. But from your like gay experience, even just from like activism and that kind of thing would you have missed that if you were gay now, do you think? Or do you think you would have been able to find something that you could contribute to today. I think I can find, I mean, there's stuff I could contribute to now. Yeah. Like, you know, we've got groups like Lesbians and Gays Support, the migrants who are, mm-hmm. you know, very, very active and they're based on, their tactics are based around uh, Lesbians and Gays Support, the minors. So there are lots of sort of, yeah, there, there are certainly lots of um, causes, if you like. Um, yeah, but I'd... I'd, I'd no, I th- I think that, do I I, th- I think the eighties was uh, that time was actually a good time to be gay in terms of just the balance of things because it was you didn't have stuff handed to you on a plate and you knew it's almost like you knew what you had to do to kind of if you were gonna mm-hmm. try and move things forward you knew what you were up against. Um, mm-hmm. No, and I mean obviously well, I mean the HIV thing could do without at any time. But, you know, yeah, Section 28, we could deal with that. The attack on gays, the word, we could deal with that. But all of those things, ultimately, I think, kind of made us stronger. And I hope that strength is something that younger queer people inherit, that, that, that they, they, they build on that, they don't. They don't ignore it. They don't fritter it away. They appreciate now just how, how strong we are as a community. Yeah, and, 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 and as I say, use it, build on it. After the interview, Colin drove me back to the train station and we chatted a bit more about how much HIV and AIDS has affected him and how much it still, just how much it still gets to him, really. 
had such a great time chatting to Colin and we've stayed in touch since the interview. We WhatsApp back and forth every now and then and he helped me out with contacting a couple of people who I talk to later in the series. He's got such a great story and it was such an honour to hear it. Definitely check out Colin's blog and his book called Gay in the 80s from fighting for our rights to fighting for our lives and that's by Colin Clues. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed Colin's story as much as I did. If you want to see any of the excerpts from the articles that we spoke about, it's on the Instagram page, which is at Queer Margins. So yeah, head over there and follow. And also if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, that would be amazing. Thanks again for listening.